This is the EPLOG audio experience. How does a renowned educational institute impact one's professional growth? Is the power of academic research underrated in a Google-empowered world? Are we at the cusp of understanding communication via text messages or perhaps emoticons only and how is that affecting other forms of verbal and non-verbal communication? Welcome to a fresh new episode of Voice of Achievers with me, Ashika, as I sit down to decode some powerful professional lessons from the bitter and sweet experiences of a distinguished guest to help you make sense of your own career path. We are speaking with a woman of substance, Vinati Dev, who holds a BA in Economics and International Development from Clark University and an MA and MSc in Political Economy from London School of Economics. She's previously worked at Harvard Business School and now lives and works in Delhi. Her company is called The Script and she helps organizations and individuals articulate well. She's also an ICF approved brain-based coaching expert certified by the Neuro Leadership Coaching Institute and has helped mid and senior level professionals at organizations like Bain & Company and Delivery achieve their professional and personal goals. She enjoys writing about politics and economics and has written for the Mint in the past with over 17 years of professional experience. She's talking to us today about the power of research, good communication, educational institutes and whatnot. We'll also dig into the realms of transitioning as a leader and thriving as a professional and an entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Vinati. Thank you, Yashika. That's a very generous introduction. Um, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, you worked on a research project, I understand, between 2007 and 8 at Harvard Business School, which eventually transformed into a book called Billions of Entrepreneurs, talking about the risk that entrepreneurs take in India and China. Now, it's been more than a decade and uh, the rise in entrepreneurs, or I would say the rise in the entrepreneurial spirit, uh, has shut the roof. So, basis your research. Tell us your views and the welcome new changes, what may have gone wrong according to you. Uh, so, Yashika, that's a very big and very complex question. Um, Actually, the opportunity I had at um, HBS was to work with uh, Professor Tarun Khanna at that time. Um, and he was really studying emerging markets and India and China. And that time, you know, uh, I think people were debating which of these uh, economies would succeed in poverty alleviation, would succeed in creating big companies, would succeed in economic growth. And when you put it, 10 years ago is, is a long time. And what we have seen um, is that there are really no clear answers. Um, what we have seen is that we had, when in the research that I had helped support, uh, create this book, we had, we had compared all aspects of China and India. We had compared 
uh, fiscal markets, we had compared um, you know, land rights, we had compared political histories. And, and what, we, what we discovered was that these were really two very fundamentally different paths, right? Uh, as the world knows. And I think the world is still trying to decode uh, which of these paths can lead to prosperity. Uh, having said that, I think uh, uh, in India, what we have seen over the last 10 years is there have been these uh, spurts of growth, right? Um, but when I look back and I think about what is it, what are the phases in which we grow? I think it's very clear when we have a leadership that's committed to uh, transparency uh, in regulation, that's where we see uh, investment come in. That's where we see uh, even domestic entrepreneurs, you know, put their money where their mouth is. Um, I think we've seen that. And I think every time there's sort of hesitation in holding back transparent norms of governance, we see uh, people pulling back. So I think, the, I think what I would like to see, of course, just as a citizen, somebody who experienced the 1991 reforms. We were 17 years old when uh, you know, the country had a clear break from the past. Um, I think it was because some of the governance structures that were decaying had to be rebooted and they were, um, and we saw that happen. China is a whole different beast, uh, uh, Yashika. You know, uh, when we compare the political systems, it's a whole different space. But they have a very large domestic market. And I think what they've shown to the world is, is that, look, we can build for our own market and that's enough, right? And I, and I think India is the same. I think entrepreneurs here understood that. I just hope that the regulations that support entrepreneurs, small entrepreneurs, right? Uh, whether they can take a bank loan, whether they can deploy credit, um, small and medium-sized companies, I think as that gets easier, we'll see uh, Indian entrepreneurs take the lead in every way possible. I think when, when, gov when governance is aligned, I think entrepreneurship will thrive. Okay. And because this uh, involved a hell lot of research, it involved, uh, and I'm talking about academia here, uh, we live in a world that is empowered by Google. So all we need to do is uh, click, 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 and we have all the answers ready. The fact that you have really seen research so closely, what do you think? Uh, do you think that uh, the power of academic research is underutilized? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, in the public policy world now, you're seeing the phrase evidence-based policy, right? Um, which really is, you know, uh, is there data on the ground that's telling you something? And I think, Yashika, you know, partly this was the case because the ability to collect data in complex societies and poor societies in large throngs is just difficult, right? We have seen digital change that, right? We have seen that today, if you provide, say, an, um, an Anganwadi worker a smartphone, right? She can perhaps um, have information on immunization, maternal health outcomes. 
that can be peppered up, that can be peppered. And you, you're seeing organizations, I, I know you've been involved, you're seeing organizations like Niti Aayog do this, right? They've created data sets around aspirational districts, right? They're actually watching what's happening to development outcomes. I think uh, academia always believed in research and they conducted the research. I think uh, what was lacking uh, was the, the cross-pollination between academia and public policy and the acknowledgement of, uh, on the acknowledgement of, of the relevance of data for everything. So, uh, you know, when we mean research, I mean real sort of ground level research and outcomes. Uh, Google is, you know, Google, we have to be careful about, you know, what's hanging out in Google. It's a different world. I think people involved in the development sector or public policy, they're looking at real data sets that are coming out. And I, I think it's going to inform policy in, in a much better way going forward. How about um, professionals and um, upcoming or budding entrepreneurs or budding professional students dealing with uh, data? How do you think uh, they should deal with data, especially with Google around and virtual classes around? Um, uh, so, Yashika, you know, it was uh, pretty treacherous to take a statistics course. And, uh, you know, I think as a student, uh, we were like, why do, why do we really need to take a statistics course, right? I mean, we wanted to um, debate fancy uh, ideological questions, right, on, uh, you know, whether capitalism is good or whether Marxism is great. Um, and what happens is when you look at the data coming in, it humbles your ideological positions. And you know, you're forced to actually come up with solutions based on that data, right? So I think every student should have sort of an understanding of facts, uh, an understanding of data sets, an understanding of the evidence before they take any positions that they need to. Um, unfortunately, I think, you know, the triangle in our mind is um, inversed. We take a position and we don't go looking for data. <clears throat> I think we should go looking for data and then take a position or don't take a position. And if the evidence changes, change your mind. That's fine. You know, change your mind with what things will change. This is an evolving society. Uh, data changes and transforms over time. So watch the data and, and find solutions rather than you know, build an ideological position that you will not shift from no matter what data is um, uh, sent your way. So they should take that class. They should take the statistics class, yeah. Oh, very interesting. And because we're talking about uh, statistics class and institutions, uh, tell me, you have, and this is this was what, uh, almost two decades back, you, you come from an academic background which is the London School of uh, Economics then there is an internship with Harvard Business School and etc um, etc et there is a mindset in India where professional or academic experience um, sort of empowers you and your professional or career growth what has been your experience with respect to an institution like that or um, you know, experiences, professional experiences like that early on in your career that you feel may have helped you in your career path, progress in your career path? Oh, absolutely, Ashita. You know, um, just like 
you know, institutions shape you, right? Um, and each institution that you become a part of, either where you're studying or where you go for your higher studies or uh, an organization that you get in first job, um, I think all of them shape you. You know, if you if if I were to just look across the institutions that I have been part of, um, if if I look at you know Mayo College Girls School, which is a boarding school, you know the biggest message. Yes, I was I was just going to get there as well, which is again uh, Mayo College Ajmer, uh, again an institution that uh, people look up to. So how do those uh, experience experiences of uh, you know, A to B to C to D help you in your... Yeah, yeah I think they all, um, they all stack up, right? Um, and from each of them, you, you have, you, you build a little bit of a scaffolding, you, you take something that becomes uh, sort of a fundamental core to you, and then you build on top of it. Um, and at Mayo, I think uh, it was very clear, it was, uh, you know, you're in a boarding school setting, there is a certain sense of discipline and a certain sense of resilience that you build and a certain sense of self-reliance right uh, whether it's an emotional self-reliance or um, and and a huge amount of collaboration with your peers that's all you have you don't really have a, a family to come back to and and vent about your day so i think very early very early on uh, boarding school um, very successfully i think teaches you certain disciplines certain resilience certain ability not to vent beyond the point and just get on with your day. Um, and I think life demands that kind of a mindset and that's built early on. Um, as far as, um, you know, my, my experience at Clark, uh, which was a small liberal arts college northwest of Boston, um, you know, the United States is a great place for um, higher ed and even under because you you know the resources that are available to you and the structured setting in which a student in a university is dealt with um, is really rather rewarding and I think uh, the aha moment over there was just to watch a very very high caliber faculty that was steeped in research that was open to inquiry that was open to uh, even uh, a dissenting position of a student. Uh, uh, I think that early sense of the fact that you can question what you have learned so far um, was for me as a, as a young student, very liberating. And then of course the American sort of, you know, again, highly disciplined sort of society in terms of time and, uh, you know, showing up and, and committing to classes and so on and so forth. Um, so that's, that's the undergrad experience. Um, LSE was again fabulous, right? Um, at the time that I, it was a, it was a great time, I think, to to join LSE because LSE was coming out of this label of, uh, oh, there were Marxist leftist ideologies at the London School of Economics. I, I believe I, I I'm not sure if I remember the name correctly, but there was a gentleman who had just become sort of the dean or the, the director there, and he had um, begun to talk about the third way, right? Which was a signal to say that uh, uh, there are very complex societies and they can't be bucketed into neoclassical economics um, and Marxism. And that in fact, uh, and India is a classic case, right? Where a little bit of all is needed, right? 
um, and I think again uh, I had the opportunity to listen to uh, world class uh, speakers. I remember being in a large crowded hall listening to Amartya Sen talk about how um, you know access matters. You know, then therefore societies have to be inclusive um, to where they eventually land, right? So uh, again. To be to be in a to be privileged to be in a peer group where there are lots of great ideas, um, you you understand that the world is thinking at a level that uh, you know you're still trying to decode as a youngster, um, and to have that exposure itself is is fabulous. You of course from there on have to carve a career out, but by now you've got a few skill sets, um, you know, in in your. What do you take? What do you take from these? Uh, if I may ask you, and perhaps you must be looking back in time and thinking, you know, यहाँ से ये pick किया शायद मैंने यहाँ से ये सीखा होगा शायद. What are the things that you probably may have picked up from these institutes or the early career experiences that have shaped your career? One, and of course the fact that uh, in your case this has been uh, multicultural, so to say. uh from india to the us to uk and then back in india how has that been yes um well i've never really thought about it in in the way that you're asking me this question but um i i i think that you know i was lucky that even though i was in at at clark who i was at lse i was in a multicultural environment but of course that multicultural environment uh plays out at the backdrop of nations right whether it was the united states or it was the uk but the academic world and the student life is still quite shielded right so you you can pick up uh, you do pick up a sense of what's going on in the world you do pick up a sense of work ethic you do pick up values of research and excellence open mindedness and inquiry but you're still not in the real world right that thing the real world uh, hits you when you when you get your first job you know and by that time i think you have to start doing a lot of unlearning right because your first job i'm not quite sure you know unless you are you know sort of a gifted person or something like that in your first job i think it, it suddenly you you think you know it all and uh, i think the first moment is really quite humble where you really quite know nothing and you're at the bottom of the hierarchy of an organization and uh, you 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 have to kind of in in a in a young humble way just sort of absorb absorb how organizations work and hopefully find your find your your own feet in the larger world so i i'm not quite sure that answers exactly what you were saying but i think uh, there there are fabulous things to pick up from a lot of these societies i think at the end of the day what what you pick up from each society or experience is what works best for you and deploy it out into the world and leave what doesn't work for you you know um you have to you have to have that judgment what about your experiences uh, and i i hate to ask this because it is pretty much a cliche but uh, was it hard as a woman uh you mean this uh, just going to college and and in no it wasn't again uh you know you know i i i grew up uh, here in delhi fortunately at that time i mean i know that i 
in my mind i do know that society cannot is not always safe and and there were this sort of self censorship that we did in terms of what time of the day that we walked out right you and i know this well right but in the institutions that i've been a part of uh, i i didn't uh, feel any disadvantage at all um and i was lucky for that i think you know academia is also i i believe at the higher echelons that there are there are some power plays and stuff but i think just as a regular student at these uh, universities i i never felt uh, a disadvantage as a, as a woman at all i i do believe that people perceive you differently because you are a woman and um, but i i think they get past that uh, barrier uh, pretty soon once you sort of are able to um, convey to them your your skill set and your ability to perform um i know if you look at organizations the very fact that there isn't a gender balance um in uh, upper management there is something going on that needs to be solved um but uh, i sort of largely have worked in academia and then sort of worked for myself so i really haven't experienced uh, that bias okay fair enough let's talk of communication uh that being one of your core strengths uh tell us where we are with respect to communication and where do we need to be are we um overconfident communication is a, it's a broad word so are you are you asking me in terms of a professional setting where we are just as people how we communicate what is a a professional setting where we are as a, a and i'm looking at leaders who upcoming leaders because you also train leaders i'm saying upcoming leaders who are uh, soon going to be in probably assistant management or management positions uh, where are we with respect to communication and what do we need to improve so first of all i think there's a big trend uh, over the just the last couple of years uh, that i've been observing that you know we are no, no longer asking that rather funny question on you know what's the roi on on teaching good communication skills so i think that uh, has thank god for that thank god right um i also think there is some early appreciation for the fact that you know communication is not separate from thinking and doing that in fact it is all the same um and how you carry yourself and what you think and how you communicate have to align um so i think i think organizations are 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 can have connected those dots and i think they've seen that um you know at the end of the day uh you have situations in which there are a lot of very very bright people that are unable to communicate uh to others uh and even to sort of teams that work for them and and that sort of you know leaves them isolated and and you know hampers their career growth so i think there is a big appreciation for investing in communication um i also think that communication is not an adjacent skill it's a core skill right a language matters right um we we are experienced by others in the way that we speak and uh, what what we do so you know i i'm i'm very hopeful i think there's a lot of emphasis as there should be on on communication 
and I hopefully gentle communication. You know, um, I think one of the things that we can learn is how to communicate smartly. That's fine, but I think what what organizations have also realized is that you know tough messages can be sent in nicer ways. Nobody's asking you to dilute a, a tough message, right? It's just that we don't need to be aggressive in how we communicate. Even the hardest messages that we need to give to our peers um, and to our bosses or to those who work for us. So, I think um, I think we're in the right trend. What's a good start? What's a good? Where is a good start uh, at an individual level? If one is a you know an aspiring professional, just going to get into the work world, or perhaps in the early years of their work world, where, where is a good start to communicate better? Yes, I I would say start with reading, um, and start with observing, right? I mean, we live in a world where you can pretty much uh, Google thirty TED talks, right? Um, and you can watch each one of them, and uh, try to see what's happening. You know, why is there this great coherence? And I think what you learn over time is, of course, there's practice and but there's also mastery of your subject. Um, so I would say, if you want to communicate well, start reading voraciously. Um, that's when language will flow, right? Uh, read uh, on your subject matter and, and read outside of your subject matter. Read the edit page, uh, read the editorial, you know, in a newspaper, because that's where all the thoughts are being sort of summarized effectively, right? Don't just read the news item and then move on uh, from the information, read the edit page. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, information is free now, Yashika. You know, they can pretty much Google, um, you know, communication skills and 30 PowerPoints will come up on Google. Right. What they have to do is to understand the framework of good communication, begin to observe themselves as they communicate or present, and make those tweaks. Um, and and I think you know self study is absolutely fine. Over time, you can of course take courses and things like that. Yeah. So because you spoke about the editorial page and uh, you've been a writer yourself, tell us one thing that is is key as a writer or uh, as a professional, when you're writing clearly, succinctly, one thing that's key. Lots, lots of, let, let, me, let me buy some time here and say that three, at least three things that are key. Uh, one is to think through the po big point you wanna make upfront. Um, and then to structure your writing um, in a way that it flows. Uh, and the loose ends are all tied up. Okay. And to use simple language. This is really hard. Uh, and I've said it again and again, it's hard for me. Um, it is, I've had a lot of excellent clients and bosses, by the way, who've given me feedback over time on simplifying my writing, simplifying my writing, cutting my sentences shorter. So I would say, think about what you want to say upfront, have a clear plan before you start writing, uh, structure, your argument and use simple language. So that's, uh, that's difficult, but I think the best writers just, uh, you know, write simply. That's so true. That's so, what's your favorite? 
tell us a few of your favorites oh favorite writers so i'm uh, yashika i'm not a i'm not a great fiction reader uh, but um, you know i there are so many articles that i see which has just high quality writing obviously in the in the political economy space in india there is the great pratap bhanu mehta who uh, writes for the indian express i think everybody should read him for what he says and how he writes um the financial times uh, which is a newspaper out of england is superb in the way they write um so i'm, I'm not naming authors here but um, there are there are uh, magazines and 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 books that i think there are exceptional writers uh, out there uh, each one of them i don't have a favorite writer i just read the content and say wow this was simply written it was beautifully written um adam grant uh, he's in the organizational development space he writes beautifully amy cuddy she writes about presence she's fabulous uh, brene brown again uh, a coach and a writer writes beautifully um so lots of great writers out there but i think if you look at it the common factor is structure and simplicity between in in how they write sure what about uh, and now i'm bringing into context the third aspect of your career or your core strength and that's going to be leadership and coaching uh when we talk about you you helped uh, mid level senior level uh, managers and executives professionals transition into uh you know better jobs or better career prospects etc etc what are the th- what are the things that one needs to develop to become a a, a better leader self awareness uh, uh yashika self awareness you know uh, that's what distinguishes uh but that's what drives your personal growth right everything else just follows um to look at to be able to look at yourself clearly and say you know where are my gaps you know uh is it in content knowledge what am i going to do next to fill that gap is it how i'm communicating what am i going to do to fill that gap is it the way i'm interacting with others and what am i going to do to fill that gap so i think uh, you know we we tend to look outside for solutions you know if something happened i'd be a better leader <laughs> but i think the biggest learning for me has been if i transform myself you know uh that my personal presence and my personal mindset and my personal behaviors would uh automatically take me down the path of leadership that that i want to go down in which whatever role i am in right you could be just a junior manager going to a senior manager position you have two people now you will have uh, you know 10 people reporting into you how you how are you going to manage 10 different personalities right well you first have to acknowledge that they're all 10 different people right the 10 different brains you'll have to deal with and which by default means that you have to elevate your own emotional quotient level uh, so i think self awareness is key to self development and uh, leadership i think you know if you get into a leadership position and you keep focusing on your own self development um, leadership happens is there a point of transition because when the transitioning uh, the transitioning is happening 
uh, and I'm talking specifically with the example that you give, maybe you're dealing with two team members that uh, are reporting into you and tomorrow you have to deal with 10, it's slightly overwhelming. What is that transition like and uh, what are the key points to pick to, you know, thrive or embrace that situation? So I think, uh, Yashika, from, you know, the interactions I've had, um, the, the thing that stands out is, uh, first of all, you know, you're very used to being rewarded for individual contribution, you know, and, uh, and suddenly your rewards are going to be about managing other people's contribution, right? Um, so I think there is a moment where it comes, it's like, this is not my problem if, if they haven't sent this in time, right? And suddenly, and it feels very disempowering. And suddenly you realize, well, it really is my job to make sure that I align and I inspire and I closely watch and I closely collaborate so that team outcomes are better. So I think that's the transition point. I think it happens to all of us. Uh, you know, uh, delegation is a, it's a difficult thing, uh, mm-hmm. watching and improving someone else's work so that the team uh, operates better is even harder. And I think the sooner we make that shift and realize that as you go up the leadership level, um, team contributions is what's going to make you successful. Um, Let me simplify that. I mean, because it's hard, what's a way that we can simplify that transition? Yeah, I think you have to start thinking like a teacher, you know, where, and, and, and actually one of my you know, a teacher that usually inspired me and when you know we would went about other teachers to her in school and and she's she once said to us you know just be kind to teachers because their success no longer depends on how well they teach but how their students do right so if you just if you just translate that into a professional setting you as you go up the leadership ladder or you know you you have to carry people with you you have to invest in them. You have to invest in their work. You have to continue to do yours, by the way. Uh, Buck will stop at the leader. But I think one has, to, one has to find the balance between improving, helping and enabling members of your team in, improve their outcomes so that as a team, you perform better. And, I, and again, I think you have to be very self-aware. You will have to remain emotionally centered as you handle different people. Um, and, and, and manage them in a way that they can reach their highest, highest potential. And I think you have to shift. I think you have to shift from individual contribution to, to making sure that, and I think there's a, there's a phrase out there called servant leadership, right? Which I think uh, encapsulates this idea really well. What can you do to enable someone else's success uh, versus what can I do to enable my success? I think that, that balance has to be struck. It, and that's interesting. You've seen all of that as a professional, as an entrepreneur. Uh, now you're, you're starting out with a partner. What is it with people? And um, you know how easy or simple is it to deal with people? How can we simplify dealing with people? Because irrespective of us being students, professionals, entrepreneurs, whatever it is, we are going to be dealing with people. Yeah. Um... I think, uh, Yashika, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, how do we deal with people? I think, uh, you know, 
I, I'm going to come back to self-awareness here, right? I think it's important to develop a style that raises another person's awareness, right? Rather than dictate any of your own terms to them, uh, particularly your personalities. You know, uh, if you're going to try and convert people's personalities, you're doomed from the get-go. Right. I think what we need to do is raise their own awareness about collaborative outcomes and their roles in it um, and uh, drive them to the highest potential to deliver that. So just as you're raising awareness in yourself, I think you have to you have to develop a style that raises awareness amongst the people that you work with. I think we get too bucketed with uh, you know, oh, I don't get along with this person because they're that personality and I don't get along with that person because they're that personality. I think uh, what we have to do is just acknowledge that there are different personalities, but that there are joint outcomes uh, that we all need to work together. So uh, let's get past all of that and, and just solutionize. And I think people do come to, people then respond and say, great, you're not trying to change who I am. You, you have established a common goal and, um, and uh, I will try to meet that goal in the best possible way. I think people want to collaborate. I think people want to be part of teams. I think people uh, enjoy uh, joint success. Uh, I think you just have to give them that chance uh, to do something well together. What about disappointments? Uh, and I ask this because it's been a fairly long career journey so far. What are some of the disappointments that you've had or uh, I'd say learning experiences, you know, to be mindful of? There are lots, Yashika. There are lots of learning. There are lots of disappointments. Even when one sits down and has a con conversation with you where you so generously introduce me, uh, no one really sees the sort of self-doubt that plays out uh, at multiple levels uh, across multiple points in your career. Um, and uh, my only learning is that, you know, feel free to self-doubt for an hour or so, or maybe a day or so, and then just get back and start doing it uh, again. You know, uh, what that sort of bias to action and it's a, it's a coaching phrase we use all the time. Um, you will be disappointed. You will be in self-doubt. Uh, but just get out there and keep throwing everything that you have that's the best in you outside, to, uh, you know, on the wall. And something will stick. It always does. Um, so everybody's going to have their disappointments. We certainly did. I certainly did. Um, but I think you just have to we just have to keep going at it. And just yesterday, I was reading something wonderful. You know, people say, oh, you know, this is a great creative idea. And if I put it out there in the world, you know, someone will steal it. And, you know, uh, and then someone else said, well, look, there are 20 great creative ideas. You just have to go out and execute yours. So the word execute, the word bias to action, the word show up, I think a lot of... Uh, great coaches have used the word, you know, half the battle is just showing up, right? Wherever you're starting from, if you want to shift gears, right? You want to be a writer, you just need to write. 
you know, you want to have success or whatever, however you define success tomorrow, day after, there are three, four, five, six year cycles sometimes. That's also something that you have to keep in mind is to play for the long haul. So keep doing it, play for the long haul, um, take disappointments in your stride and find folks that enable you, right? Uh, and without really thinking what you're going to get from them, just be around people that enable you. Um, and uh, I'm sure whichever direction you're going to, you'll, you'll get there. It's just, it, it, timing is not always in our hands, but that's fine. Just have a bias to action and just show up and just start doing. So that's it. Lovely. What does achievement mean to you? I think um, it meant very different things as a younger person. Uh, it definitely meant financial remuneration. Um, it definitely meant recognition. It definitely meant, you know, if I, if I write something nice, is it going to get published, right? And now it's shifted to, I'm going to write something nice and I'm going to put it out there uh, and it gets recognized, great, but I, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, financial remuneration matters. It absolutely does. But um, I think you have to do a lot of good stuff for no money at all before you can begin to uh, think about making a lot of money. Uh, so I think all these um, ideas get inverted. And accomplishment, I think just to do what you do well and to whoever you are committed to, to actually deliver what you said that you were going to deliver. That's accomplishment to me. You know, um, as a professional, that's pretty much all that there is, right? To, to build trust uh, amongst people you've worked with that, you know, uh, this person's gonna be up in the night and collectively meet my deadline. If I'm able to do that for a client, then I feel rather accomplished at the end of the day. Right. So uh, if, if people you work with trust you, if you put your best out there, um, I think you, that's what accomplishment means for me. Is there one thing that you'd be looking at if you're working with somebody? Yes, so their ability to learn. Because, I mean, you know, <clears throat> we just don't know everything. It's the simplest thing out there, right? You, you need to learn from others constantly. So uh, their ability to acknowledge that somebody else on the team did this better and let me learn from them. Or I hear you. Uh, I would certainly, their ability to keep an open mind to learning um, and improving themselves. That means are they then taking that input and acting on it? That's what I would look for in somebody I would collaborate with. Couldn't be more thankful for you to have collaborated with us well. And uh, thank you for being so unabashedly honest and just bear your heart with us. Thank you so much for being on the show and taking all the time. No, thank you. And, you know, you, you take the time to have conversations with, um, I think you, you use the word achievers. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure what that really means. I think we're all in the process of achieving something. But thank you for that. It certainly feels good. So thank you for uh, having me on the on your on your show and and for a great conversation. I think this is a good food. This is good food for thought. Maybe the new year I should think about calling this voice of achieving. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I love, know, that I, <laughs> I love that thought. I love that thought. Yeah. 
you know, I, I love saying this. Yeah, we're really an, a verb, right? Uh, we are a doing thing. We are a work in progress. Absolutely. So uh, it's just my preference. Uh, but again, thank you. Thank you for this, uh, for your time today as well. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to share your thoughts and feedback in the comment section. Do rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like the episode. Subscribe or hit follow Voice of Achievers on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hubhopper, Spotify, GeoSavan, Ghana or wherever you get your podcasts from. Send us an email on editor at voiceofachievers.com or find us on voiceofachievers.com to share guest suggestions or topics that you'd like us to cover. Don't forget to tune in next week again. Voice of Achievers on EP Log Media.